describes that first move of the Holy Spirit. You remember it says they devoted themselves. And four things, actually. We're only going to speak on one today, but four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Very strong word, that word, devoted themselves. They gave themselves wholeheartedly. Um, And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There's another ingredient of revival. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we, move, we read in history about these moves of God when suddenly things start to accelerate. You know, God is always on the move. His spirit is always with us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in here, in our mortal bodies, giving us life and enabling us to bring the gospel to others. But somehow it seems that there are periods when God is really on the move. And, uh, of course, the one that we remember here most of all is that move of God in 1904 in the Welsh Valleys and throughout Wales. And I want to just spend some time just reading an account. It was sort of put together a couple of accounts I found of what happened in the Welsh Revival, just to give us that sense of excitement of what God can do as we see him moving. And, it, you know, it just... It, it, my, my mind's boggled when I was reading this. I couldn't stop reading yesterday. I got so excited about this that I didn't get in preparation my sermon as much as I should have done, perhaps. But anyway, he, here we are, the, the, the Welsh revival. Uh, you perhaps put that first slide up if it's there. It's just a picture of... Um, is it there? Oh, it is there. Yes, thank you. Um, that's, I, I think that's one of the last meetings that Evan Roberts had on Anglesey. You can see the crowds there, and that's nothing compared with some of them. Uh, So I'm just going to read this and listen carefully because there are some nuggets in here for us today, I think. Many have claimed that the Welsh revival of 1904 to 105 was the greatest revival in history, right here in Wales. You know, people throughout the world acknowledge this. And, you know, we we see the fruits of the Welsh revival today. Um, Lyra is one of them, of course. If you don't know her story, you'll have to ask her afterwards. Um, it, based on its, its uh, it has tremendous power and worldwide impact. The revival's visible leaders were largely young people. Evan Roberts, the revival's best-known leader, was only 26 years old. There were no great speakers or dynamic leaders, only nameless believers, sold out to God and fully obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. One of the central themes of the revival was that God wasn't looking for great eloquence, impressive leadership, or great wisdom. He wasn't looking for those who were... Sorry, I beg your pardon. He was looking for those who were humble and obedient to the voice of the Spirit, who despised worldly acclaim and desired above all else to exalt God only. Jesus was always the main attraction. Speakers and singers were not announced. 
when the meetings began, there was no telling what was going to happen. Evan Roberts would enter a meeting and say nothing for hours or preach the entire time. Singers who planned to perform often kept silent if the Lord had other plans. Other times, singers would break out into spontaneous song. But the revival was birthed in prayer. A minister in Cardiff named Seth Joshua prayed for years that God would send an ordinary young man who worked in the coal mines or the fields to lead a revival in Wales. Evan Roberts was the answer to that prayer. You know, the, the, the guy prayed for leaders. That's something, you know, as we think about praying, pray for leaders. Pray that God will raise up leaders. Young people, we're praying for the children today. You know, all that they, they have, the potential they have in their lives. Pray for strategic leaders that, uh, we, <coughs> that we need at this time. Both, um, you know, pray for leaders here, but pray um, for all church leaders and national leaders. You know, we need people who can speak truth to power. The church needs a strong voice again. That's, one, that's the reason why the nation is sliding back, because the church has lost its voice and its authority. Several months before the revival began, Reverend Joseph Jenkins of Newquay was praying earnestly that a change might come over the churches of the area. One Sunday morning in February 1904, he held a prayer meeting for young people at his church and asked them to share about how they viewed God. One boy said, Jesus is the light of the world. To which the Reverend Jenkins replied, yes, but what does he mean to you? 20-year-old Florrie Evans rose to her feet and declared, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. Instantly, the Holy Spirit descended on the room, melting their hardened hearts. The young people started weeping and declaring their love for Jesus. Slowly but surely, this brokenness spread to other places. The revival experienced the power of prayer, seeing dramatic answers to uh, specific prayers, and the focus of prayers was towards a burning agony for the lost. People in Wales were praying everywhere. Small prayer groups became swelling crowds at any time during the day or night. Whole communities rose up in prayer for neighboring towns. Revival caught on like wildfire wherever they went. Prayer meetings often lasted till the early hours of the morning. And people feared leaving lest they miss out on something wonderful. You know, for the days when we're like that, you know, we're going to miss something if we don't go. And, you know, there should be an excitement in our hearts and in church, shouldn't there? That what, God, what is God going to do today? What's he, what's he got to say to me? What, what is going to touch in my heart? And what's he going to do for the people? Who's going to be healed today? What, what wonderful things are we going to see manifest in our midst? You know, let's try and believe for that as we move forward in God. Entire factories shut down, not for a strike, but so that people could pray. There was no way you could travel in Wales to escape the influence of the Spirit of God. 
The burning love and zeal of every Christian was evident wherever you went. Thousands upon thousands were being saved, mostly through the witness of individual believers. Before the revival, Wales was a place of spiritual darkness. People were obsessed with sport, drinking, and a host of worldly pursuits. Crime and prostitution were at record rates. And even in their worldly prosperity, people were dry and empty inside, trying to fill a void that only God can. Now they, it's true, isn't it, that there's a God-shaped void in every heart. And people look for all sorts of things to fill that void. But that's, it, we're designed, we're made to have God fill that, the Spirit of God living in us. And I really believe Chris is absolutely right to say that that awareness of that void in people is, is, is very strong at the moment. The people are ready. The harvest is ripe. And Jesus said we should pray for the, the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. There's more evidence of the Welsh revival. Pubs were emptied. Young people would dance and sing praises to God in the streets. You know, can you imagine this? It must have taken place in... I don't think it took place here. We didn't strike Abergavenny, did it? But, you know, Abertillery and um, <coughs> Abersuckan and places like that. All over Pontypool. People dancing in the streets. Crime, crime decreased drastically. Magistrates often had no cases to hear. Forgiveness was rampant. And broken relationships were reconciled. People repaid their debts. And I'm sure you've heard this one before. In the mines, the pit ponies could not understand what had happened to the miners as they spoke to them more kindly. They were so used to being sworn at that they became disobedient. <laughs> and and here's, here's a hard one for some. Rugby came, came to a standstill as the former spectators were all in church. Well, uh, I'm sure God likes rugby, you know, but uh, the, uh, we could do a bit of a switch around sometimes, couldn't we? Those stadia full of spectators, you know, singing their hearts out. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's have a vision for stadia full singing their hearts out for Jesus. And the final comment of what I was reading was this. Society was transformed. Revival transformed society. And Wales became a God-fearing nation. And at least 100,000 people committed their hearts to Jesus Christ within one year. One year. And that was a much bigger percentage of the population, I guess, than it, it, it would be to, uh, today. Well... I hope I've just given you a sense of excitement about what God can do and how society be, can be transformed and how people can be transformed. Because, you know, it is all about people, isn't it? It's not about uh, just uh, making the world a better place to live in. It's about seeing people transformed, hearts warmed by the love of Jesus, communities coming together, life being lived uh, as, it should, as God intended it to live with love and forgiveness. 
Life being lived with joy and dancing. Life being lived with an honouring of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I really believe that's on God's heart at the moment, that we should be seeing this happening in our midst. Well, how can this happen? How, is there any way that we can see um, this come about? Well, I just wanted to go back to that uh, scripture. I think I might, may have quoted it last week. I certainly quoted it to the Connect Group leaders on Tuesday. Uh, the story of Elijah. You know, uh, the, James, uh, the apostle, says, um, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky went, sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You can see that's like why that's a kind of metaphor for revival. You know, the rain comes and the earth yields its crops. Life starts to work as God intended it to. And we start to uh, be the people that God intends us to be. So I just want to look at how Elijah prays for the rain. Well, that's my theme today, praying for the rain. So let's just read a story from 1 Kings chapter 18. It's verses 41 to 45. Now at this time, uh, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, was terribly backslidden. Things were awful in terms of its morality, uh, in terms of its religion. The main religion was the worship of Baal, um, and that in involved human sacrifice. Babies were placed on in, in the fire to offer them as a sacrifice to the gods. And uh, Elijah confronts this Baal worship. And if you know the story, I'm not reading it this morning, about how he confronts the prophets on Mount Carmel. But after that, um, this is what happens. Uh, Ahab in the story is the king. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now, was it raining when Elijah said that? No, it wasn't raining. He hears the sound of abundance of rain, he says. He hears it in the spirit, in, prophetically. This is the prophet speaking. This is the prophet saying, rain is coming. Things are going to happen. You need to get ready. So Ahab went to eat up to eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. So Elijah, Elijah sends the servant off. He's praying that God will send the rain. And uh, so he said, Tell his servant, go and look for it. Look out for the first sign of rain. So he sends a servant off, servant comes back, sorry, no rain yet. So Elijah keeps praying, sends a servant out again, servant comes back, no rain. Third time, no rain. Fourth, fifth, sixth time, Elijah keeps praying as the servant is watching. 
Seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. And suddenly, you know, after all that prayer and all that agony um, in prayer, it's, there's, I think the scripture suggests that he's actually almost in a birthing position, trying to birth this, something in prayer. Now, it, it's, it, it fascinates me this, that Elijah has said, I hear the rain. God has told me the rain is coming. And yet he still goes to prayer. He could just sit back and say, well, God says it's going to rain. Let's just wait. But no, he has to pray. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a, an interesting thing here. Now, I think it's, it's often misunderstood. And I just want to take two or three pictures just to explain to you why this is. Why, when God says something... Somehow we need to be engaged and involved to bring it to pass. So, if we can have the first picture, please. And if you know where this is. Anybody recognize it? Beautiful gardens, fabulous gardens. Some of the best in the country, if not in the world, I think. Okay, let's have the next slide and then you'll perhaps be able to tell me where it is. Anybody know? Highgrove. It's Highgrove. It's uh, the, uh, the place where His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales lives. Now, who, who is in charge of that garden? Who, who is Lord of the garden? Obvious question. Thank you, Reese. Pardon? Wrong answer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> who's, who's the lord of the, garden, of the garden? Prince Charles. Exactly, thank you. Now, Reese is absolutely right because there is a second person involved, isn't there? And that's the gardener. So if we have the next slide, we can see this lady. And uh, she, apparently she's... Uh, this is what I found out a while back, I don't know if they've changed now, but this lady is called Deb's Good Enough. Deb's Good Enough, if that's how you say it. And she is the head gardener of that garden. Now, who is in charge of the garden? Reese. The gardener, absolutely. Now, can you see there's a relationship there? Now, Prince Charles could, if he wanted to, uh, get, I'm sure he does, get his rubber gloves on and his uh, old clothes and grub about in the beds and sort things out. But no, usually, I guess, he says, well, I'd like a nice, colourful area here. Can you create this for me? Or, look, we've got a problem with pigeons. Can you do something to get rid of the pigeons that are messing up my garden? Or, um, you know, he, he might uh, want to redesign part of it. Can you build me a wall? Now, do you see, there's, there's a partnership there. That ultimately, ultimately, Prince Charles, it's Prince Charles's garden. He decides 
what it should be like. But the, uh, Debs Goodenough is charged with uh, organizing it, seeing it happen, supervising the other uh, gardeners, doing, doing the work. Now, I think that's a really good picture of, of the way that God works with us. It somehow seems that um, he has to use a human being. He has, he, he's chosen to work through you and me. He's chosen to work through people. Because that was the original assignment at creation. When God said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion over creation. Now, it doesn't mean that God's out of the picture. And of course, the problem was that uh, uh, humankind tried to put God out of the picture after the fall. So there's, a, there's an issue there. But um, I think you can see that uh, the, the actual um, intention is that uh, God works through people. And it's also true of the devil. You know, he has to work through people. He has to find a Hitler. He has to find a, somebody else I won't mention who can, uh, you, know, you know, work and, and, and do his will. In, uh, whether it's a, an awkward uh, person in, in your company or whether it's a politician or whatever. You know, he's always trying to work through people because he hasn't got carte blanche to come in and just smash the place up as he would like. But you see, God, it, God has, has, has given that authority and that delegated sovereignty, if you like, to us as people. So there is an obligation to us to be involved and to do stuff. Um, the uh, Psalm, um, if I can just find it, um, it's Psalm 115, verse 16, when I can find the quotation. I've not asked the guys to put this one up. Um, it says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So, is God in ultimate control? Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. But, he's delegated some of that authority to us. And so, that's why Elijah has to be involved in the process. He hears it prophetically, but then he has to pray it into being. And it seems like quite agonizing prayer. It's persistent prayer. It's believing prayer. It's strong prayer. But he's heard the sound of the abundance of rain. Now, I, I believe this is a prophetic word, that this is where we are. You know, that we're hearing the sound of abundance of rain. But what is our role in this? You know, we have a responsibility and a role to pray for it, to pray for leaders, to pray for our children, to pray for our colleagues, to pray for our neighborhoods, to, to earnestly seek God, birthing this thing, because it's coming to pass, but God needs us to birth it. It comes to us and, and out through our spirits into this world as we pray, as we bind the evil one. You know, it says that the, the prince of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We need to bind him. We need to bind that blindness off our neighbors, off our friends, off our families. And Jesus said we should send the pray to the Father to send forth laborers. You know, where we can't go, if you've got a family member and it's difficult to speak to, for, to them about the Lord because you think they won't listen to you, well, perhaps they will, but, you know, pray for boldness. But, you know, pray also that God will send a laborer, send somebody in who's on their wavelength, who can speak to them. You know, that, that, that's, um, uh, is, is a, I just remember when uh, uh, my brother went to Australia, he was miles away. And uh, it, it was a long time ago now. 
And God put somebody uh, in the uh, the place where he was staying um, as a sort of immigrant, um, a, a lovely pastor who took them to church. Now, we're not seeing the full fruit of that, you know, but God did really answer that prayer. And God will answer the prayers for your, for your friends and family. Pray for laborers to, um, uh, to, um, uh, to speak to them about Jesus. Well, you know, I believe this is the word of God today, that I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I'm just going to read a little bit. I think I've just got time to read this little example. It's happening. It's beginning to happen. Um, This is a report uh, from the United States. Um, I listen to a a broadcast that uh, Dutch Sheets gives uh, every day called Give Him 15. He asks us to pray with him for 15 minutes. Um, It's a great teacher on intercessory prayer, is Dutch. And, uh, you know, I've benefited many times from listening to him, mainly about USA politics at the moment, but nevertheless, it's, it's worth listening to. But anyway, this is what he said in one of his broadcasts. Numerous prophets have been saying a new season of signs and wonders is imminent. Some are going as far as to say that this has already begun. I also believe it is God's time for this release of power. Confirmations are beginning to be sent to me. Fred Golker, a pastor friend of mine in Michigan, sent the following report. We are experiencing a special outpouring of God's presence and miracles. His weighty glory is coming on people, accompanied by significant manifestations of Holy Spirit, including significant miracles. I think this is one of the other issues that is, you know, we're praying for as a church at the moment, is significant miracles. They're the ones that break open people to the supernatural world, to the fact that there is a God, that he does love them, that he, 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 he is able to heal, he is able to intervene in their lives. Um, I'm thinking about the, that miracle at the gate, beautiful, in, at the beginning of uh, the Acts of the Apostles. But other things have happened. Um, I remember in, um, in Qumran a few uh, years ago, when that revival broke out, and um, I can't remember his surname now, this guy's name's Paul, um, he suddenly picked up his wheelchair and lifted it over his head. Uh, his, his legs were healed uh, by the power of God, and people were coming from all over the world at that point uh, to see what God was doing. Significant miracles. This is a testimony from the USA anyway. A 10-year-old girl with 40 to 50 warts on her hands 40 to 50 warts on her hands, was prayed for, and all warts melted off her hands in about 15 minutes. Children watched it happen. Two people with stage 4 cancer have been given doctor verifications that the cancers are gone. A man who experienced a massive heart attack is now fully functioning, uh, is functioning at full mental capacity and being restored physically. It's a special supernatural season with growing momentum. And just a little bit more detail. The miracle of the child's warts dissolving was very radical and witnessed by several children. An angel appeared and gave them instructions. When they prayed, all but one wart totally disappeared. The children then together declared, Be gone! 
They use their prayer authority, see? Little children. It too went away. The children came into the sanctuary and told the, us, the adults, the story. You know, sometimes we underestimate children, don't we? Um, they're, they're often the ones with the faith. I think it's Heidi Baker in Mozambique who sends her children to pray for the sick because they've got the faith. You know? No, don't, they're not in church just to be babysat. You know? We need to uh, envision them as well with the power and uh, possibilities that are theirs in God. Um, the little girl's parents heard the testimony along with the entire church and wept like babies as we all celebrated together. Both hands had been covered with warts, front, back, and between the fingers. Some were big and would crack and bleed. Her hands have now clear, soft skin like a baby. This miracle that all could see was a barrier-breaking miracle and opened something in the spirit for more miracles. And Dutch writes, it's time for this to begin all around the nation and across the world. We should begin releasing our faith for this and follow biblical instructions to see it occur. Well, I hope it's given you a couple of examples of the power of God at work and the power of God at work in our day as well as in the past. He's a God of miracles and he wants to do wonderful things. And, you know, I can say I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. But we need to be like Elijah and we need to be praying. Now, we've got our prayer hubs, we've got our families, we've got our connect groups, um, we've got our um, individual times. So let's get together as a church and pray this in. You know, it's, it's, what we've got is fabulous. What uh, Chris and Lyra have built here is phenomenal. But, you know, there's, there's more. I know Chris would, would say that too. There's more. There's more in God for each one of us. There's more in God for, for this church. There are great words, prophetic words over this church that God wants to do great things here. It's going to become a center for revival. Amen. A center for revival. Now that means that uh, there's work for every one of us and we need to be preparing our hearts because, you know, ultimately revival isn't about everybody else. It isn't about great things happening in the world out there it starts in here it starts you remember that girl who said I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart and that, that's where it starts with that heart commitment to him now I'm speaking to myself because I know I need this too we, we all need to, to get that heart of Jesus Christ to come close to him to um, to say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come and your will done more than anything else. And I want to see the lost saved. I don't want to see them going to an eternity without God. I don't want to see them condemned to the lake of fire for all eternity. I want to see the lost saved. I want to, and it said in that account of the Welsh revival, remember, that there was burning prayer for the lost because they had that... You know, they had that sense of eternity. They had that sense of the spiritual realm. They knew that, that uh, there was an eternal destiny for every person. And the, the destiny for every person is either you know, with Jesus Christ or without him. Now, that's a free gift. 
It's not something that we earn. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that he's paid the price for our sins, that he's given his life, that we might be saved. That all that, uh, that the, the things that would separate us from God have been taken away. And that offer is open to every one of us today. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're someone sitting here today who's not given, given him preeminence in your life, then today is a perfect opportunity just to open up your heart to him. Because he's got a great plan for you. He's got a great purpose for your life. It's, it's not a boring life. You know, uh, the revival I was speaking about wasn't boring. It was different, but it wasn't boring. It was amazing as, uh, as, as trans society was transformed and God was doing great things. And, uh, you know, th there's nothing like the presence of God uh, when we come together uh, as believers and as we meet him. You know, as I say, we've got that God-shaped hole in our hearts. And God wants to fill that today. If you don't know him, he wants to fill that gap, that uh, blank space in your life because that's what you're designed for. You're designed to know him. You're designed to walk with him. You're designed. That's what he made you for. And that's what he's calling you for. He's calling you today to give your life to him and let him transform you. Let him make you what he intended you to be. And you know, as I said, revival starts with us it doesn't start out there we need to pray we need to be people of prayer and God I believe is really calling us to pray a season of prayer for revival for transformation but also we need to give ourselves to him in that way we need to give our hearts afresh perhaps today so let's just take a moment while we just listen to the Lord and uh, let's respond to him. Now perhaps we need to be like Elijah. Perhaps we need to be earnest, heartfelt, committed to prayer more than we have been. Perhaps there's somebody that you know who needs your prayers and God will save them as you press in for that. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have that God-shaped blank today, just urge you just to commit your life to him just to say in your heart now that you want to receive his forgiveness that he freely offers you want to receive the forgiveness that he freely offers for all that you've done that has displeased him little things big things it doesn't matter but receive his cleansing and as you receive that cleansing, you become a child of God. I believe God is calling us as a body today to commit our hearts fully to him. Not only those that don't know him this morning or haven't known him, but each one of us who walked with him for decades, some of us. It needs to be a new wholehearted commitment of where great things are ahead and there is an abundance of rain if we'll receive it and if we'll cooperate with the Lord in prayer to birth it in Jesus name Amen
Amen. Amen. Hey, Watchman.